0: love and rock and roll radio a weekly podcast dedicated to sex dating and relationships that are outside of the box non-normative and designed to inspire you to live more authentically and by your own rules by breaking down myths and looking at social constructs my goal is to inspire you to have a better safer more informed sex dating and love life no rock unturned now that is rock and roll So um, to start, will you tell us your name and title and
1: profession? I'm Jessica Graham, and I'm the author of a book called Good Sex: Getting Off Without Checking Out, and it's about bringing mindfulness and spirituality into your sex life. So I'm also a meditation teacher and and a filmmaker and an actor. I do a bunch of stuff, but um, but one of my passions is helping people
0: have better sex. Okay, great. So. Um, Do you do you identify as female? I do. Okay, perfect. Now, do you identify as gay, straight, queer, trans, or other? I'm just like good old-fashioned
1: bisexual.
0: Okay. I I like to state that I'm
1: bisexual because it's a label that kind of gets the short end of the stick. You know, it's like it's not really cool to be bisexual. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I mean when I was younger, coming up in the 90s, it was really not cool because it was, in the lesbian community, it was like, oh, you're bisexual. Um, in the straight community, it was like, oh, you're slutty or you're confused. And now it's almost like, it's interesting because there's so many different ways we can identify and the bisexual one feels like it's like the not cool one, but I'm all for the underdog. and. It's true. I truly am bisexual, and I have been since I was a uh, very little
0: girl. So. Yeah, it's a it's a true label mm-hmm. that seems to it's it was never cool back then, right? And now it's kind of like not cool because it's not this like new. It's sort of you know gender binary. Right. Gender exactly. Binary, right. <laughs> All right. Cool. So now, do you identify as as monogamous, or do you identify as something other than monogamous?
1: I would say. I mean. I absolutely can be monogamous. I would say that if I had to identify, if someone said, all right, you have to make a choice, this is the moment, you must make it, I would say I'm non-monogamous. That's more natural to me, that's something, again, since I was quite young, that's kind of just been the way that I am. Um, Some of that could have to do with how I was raised. I was raised by these lovely and terrible wolves. (laughs) 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 You know, but there was just so much, sort of non-traditional um, experiences in my childhood, so I think I was kind of wired to be a non-traditional person in lots of ways, including in my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say I am definitely of the, the belief or in the camp that monogamy is not necessarily natural for humans. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we see so many people doing it so unsuccessfully. I think we'd do it a lot more successfully, monogamy, if we, um, if we talked about it mm-hmm. and talked about the fact that, oh, actually, that's not a natural thing to just fall in love with one person and just only want them for the rest of your life. Whether you make the choice to only be with them for the rest of your life is different than thinking you're supposed
0: to only want them. Right, right. Setting them up for failure, so exactly. to speak, right? Because exactly. they think that they're supposed to be that way and then something else. Happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about serial monogamy?
1: Um, I think it's problematic because it doesn't leave a lot of space for growing in between. Okay. Um, if by by serial monogamy you I mean like just one into the next into the next
0: into the next. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when you, when you said that monogamy doesn't seem like it's natural, I feel like, as I think back to m- most of the people I know, and probably yourself as well, um, non-monogamy is not something that we see a lot in our society. What we do see is serial monogamy. Mm-hmm. You know, people in a long-term relationship for maybe three years, five years, whatever, and then in another one. There might be time in between, and there mm-hmm. might not be. Okay, well then, yeah. In that context,
1: um, so what do I think about serial monogamy?
0: I guess what I'm asking you is—is—is is, is that more natural? I—I I
1: think non-monogamy is more natural. Okay. I do. Okay. Um. I, that doesn't mean that it's more culturally acceptable or more sort of natural or, or necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. I'm fully in support of serial monogamy in the way that you described it, and I've been...
0: That seems to be the more acceptable way of, you know, our culture, I guess, being monogamous, but not necessarily being non-monogamous, and being able to switch partners within that monogamous frame. Right, right. Um, Do you believe the idea that monogamy falls on a continuum?
1: I've definitely come across people who, in, the, for, in a very healthy way, would never be non-monogamous. You know, it's not because they're scared of it, it's not because they have a bunch of abandonment issues that they haven't worked through, it's just something that's what works for them. That's mm-hmm. what feels right in their body. And then the other people that it, it's, a, it's very, very healthy for them to have many partners, and it's not based on a feeling of lack, and it's not based on, you know... Um, some sort of childhood issue. It's just naturally who they are and mm-hmm. how they are. So yeah, I would agree that it's that it's on a continuum. I think that um, even that conversation is one that doesn't really get get ha- that no, nobody's having that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are right now, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think even that, even opening up to the idea that yeah, some people. Are less likely to be attracted to only one person, or to want to be with only one person, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and that it could potentially flow, ebb and flow at different times of your life as well.
1: Mm. Absolutely, because I'll say that I was, I was always sort of wired to be non-monogamous, but I had a lot, a lot, a lot of issue around jealousy because I had a lot of abandonment issues mm-hmm. and a lot of sort of self-love issues. There was not a lot of it that I was capable of giving myself and so between those two things whenever I rubbed up against something slightly non-monogamous it would trigger so much in me mm-hmm. so much of an mm-hmm. abandonment mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. that I couldn't tolerate it and so I could tolerate me being with other people <laughs> but I couldn't tolerate my partners being with other people and it wasn't until um, I really addressed those sort of deeply ingrained beliefs and patterns and neural pathways, did it start to change. But even now, you know, circumstances in my life can cause me to choose to be monogamous or to choose to be non-monogamous, depending on what's happening with my partner, depending Mm -hmm. on what's happening in my own personal life. Sometimes there's just not enough time (laughs) to be
0: non-monogamous. It is an issue of time more than it is of the capacity or the capability to love right
1: Mm -hmm, exactly
0: can you talk more about I really like that because your book is about that a lot the self-love aspect and how that plays a role in monogamy because you hit on it a second ago that you had a lot of issues with jealousy and how we use monogamy as sort of like this way to keep us safe from jealousy, mm-hmm. you know?
1: So I I do think that we tend to use monogamy to feel more safe and to th- feel more stable and secure. And I want to talk first in the, the macro, and that is that we are not safe. We are not stable. There is no solid ground beneath us. We are on a rock that's spinning around in the midst of endless space. <laughs> okay? And we have no control over any of it. Mm-hmm what we do have control over is how we relate to our minds and how we relate to our bodies. We don't have really have control over our minds or our bodies, but how we relate to them, how we, um, how we work with them. We have some control there, and so that's where we start to get into a space where we can make change. But um, I think this sort of like total sort of broad lack of control that everybody is rubbing up against every day, the fact that we're all going to die, the fact that we have no, just no idea about so much. I think people want to grasp onto things, to feel safe and to feel stable, because they, deep, they know somewhere deep inside that they're not. And so monogamy is one place where we can do that. We can say, this is my person, this is my life, this is how this is what I believe, this is how it is, I am this solid entity, this person is part of that solid entity, I am safe. And that's why when someone cheats or when someone dies or when life things happen, it can feel like everything's falling apart. Your identity's crumbling because you're so identified with this little thing you've created and believed to be real and solid. So that's the macro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. On the micro, um, yeah, I think um, the idea is that it's safer and easier to be monogamous, but unfortunately, many people are not doing that in a conscious way. So they're not consciously monogamous, they're monogamous, they're sort of like, okay, I'll do this, maybe I'll do this for the most part, except that one time I went on that trip to Colorado and I met that girl and we just did that one thing and I'm never going to tell my wife about it. So it's like, but I'm monogamous, you know, Um, or I'm just going to like white knuckle it and be monogamous, you know, (laughs) and I'm not going to talk about any of those feelings or any of those thoughts or any of those things that I might have done and not, not told and that creates a real distance and that creates um, a real lack of intimacy because this is a huge part of being human sexuality and sexual expression, it's biological it's, it's part of what makes us, us and um, when we exclude that from the conversation whether it's between our par- with our partner or in a larger context we're ignoring this huge part of being human, right? And I think there is that idea in romantic relationship, not just with monogamy and issues of monogamy, but also just in general, we shut down parts of ourselves and we hold back parts of ourselves and we try to alter parts of ourselves so that we can come together to form what we think it's supposed to be this perfect union of these two people who are getting married and going to be in love forever. Mm-hmm. And we end up really cutting off huge parts of ourselves for the sake of, of being safe or being secure, but it really, I think, does the opposite because over time, that lack of intimacy and that dishonesty, it erodes the connection between two people. Yeah,
0: when I hear you talk about it, it sounds so isolating almost, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: I think it is. I think a lot of people are very alone in their relationship. That's what i found in, in working with people around sexuality. Um, you know, not only are they not having conversations about monogamy, they're also not looking into each other's eyes while they're having sex. They're mm-hmm. also, you know, not at all in their bodies while they're receiving pleasure. It, it's this—it's this kind of um, uh, disconnect, this shutdown that happens because that level of intimacy is really scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Where are we going to be our true selves? Where are we going to be authentic in our sexuality, and our personality, if not with our partner? If that's not happening, then there's this
0: huge experience of life that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add about your experiences with monogamy or non-monogamy?
1: Sure. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my experience with jealousy, because it seems to be one of the the favorite topics mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. both people, non-monogamous and monogamous is yeah. the one that comes up and so yeah, so for me uh, because of some faulty wiring you know, a brain that sort of was wired towards, I'm going to get hurt I'm going to be left alone um, I'm not good enough when I started to approach in a, in a very conscious, mindful way the idea of non-monogamy um, I knew full well that all of that stuff was going to come up And honestly, that's part of the reason I wanted to explore it was because I'm very much like a spiritual, psychological, psycho-spiritual adventurer, I guess, yeah. I'm a psycho-spiritual adventurer, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to go into that material, and I knew there weren't a whole lot of other ways to get at it quite like that. Mm Plus, I just really enjoy people, and I really enjoy sex, so it it's like <laughs> work together. Um, but I did have to work through that stuff, and for about, I would say for about two weeks, um, I was in hell. <laughs> I was crying nonstop. I was in and out of states of fight, flight, freeze. I was totally triggered. But the good news was is that I had all these years of a meditation practice and a lot of therapy and all of that. And so I was able to witness the experience without fully getting pulled into it. Mm-hmm. And I would get pulled in for moments and I would you know, act a fool and then I would recognize it and I'd be like, oh, okay, I see what's happening and I would step back out. And so I was able to kind of come up for breath throughout those two weeks. But at the end of those two weeks of sitting with... Um, and walking with and working with, like it was just always with me, that experience of not just the very old wounds, but also the times I was cheated on, or the times I cheated, or the times there was dishonesty in one way or another. There was just a lot of material that wanted to surface and process through. So, once I sat with that for that period of time, I was literally a different person. I had changed, I feel like on a cellular level, I was Um, there was all this space and all this freedom that hadn't been there before because all these wounds that had been informing all of my emotional relationships had begun to heal in really significant ways. And I remember at that time, you know, reading books like The Ethical Flut um, or Opening Up, and it's saying things like, oh yeah, you know, eventually you'll just feel like a twinge of jealousy. And I was like, I don't know how that could ever be true. And I can say that, after that period of time and, you know, continuing months after in a more, um, in in a less extreme way, that's the experience. It's just a twinge. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, because it's not tapping into a bunch of open festering wounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people run into uh, with non-monogamy, is they don't recognize, not only are they going to have to work through the biological stuff around monogamy, like oh, if my caveman leaves and goes to another woman, I might starve. You know, there is sort of a biological share in there. Sure, And then they also are going to have to work through all the emotional and the psychological, and it's, it's pretty intense, and you need tools to do that. Unless you're just totally chill and have none of those issues, and you're with someone who has none of those issues, and maybe it can be super easy. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I think that's where I, that's where I see people stumble in the whole mono- non-monogamy thing is, Not having the appropriate tools to work through everything that's going to come up, and then either shutting it down because it's too scary Mm -hmm. or really acting out. And I did versions of both of those. You know, I've definitely not ever done non monogamy perfectly, just like I haven't done any kind of relationship perfectly. Right. Because we're not perfect. Right. Um, but you can get better bit by bit. And the way that I see that happen for myself and for my students and my clients and my friends is that you just keep bringing the attention back to what wants to be healed, what's feeling unlovable, what's feeling not good enough, what part of me needs compassion and love in this moment and acceptance and awareness to be pointed at it, and how can I do my part? Because the tendency is like you put it on the other people, it's like, oh they're doing it wrong, and they're they're making me feel bad. If you have that tool of being able to turn it back around instead of the you know the magnifying glass, the mirror mm-hmm. and really look at yourself and what's actually coming up and and what wants to heal and be resolved, well then it's like non monogamy becomes like a spiritual and emotional like um supercharged, like mm-hmm. spiritual and emotional growth supercharge. It forces you to look at yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And grow. Unless you want to be really uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I mean it's like it's super uncomfortable to just be in that like I yeah. don't want to look at it but it's coming up. I don't want to look right, at it, but right, it but it's coming right, up. right Right, right. <laughs> oh, that's that's not a fun place to be. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, so it's so it's actually good to throw yourself into non monogamy <laughs> if you want to grow.
1: I think so or as, not everyone's going to want to be on monogamy. I think the other option is to throw yourself into very conscious monogamy. Mm-hmm. Meaning you don't pretend that you have, don't have eyes. You don't pretend that you don't have a nose. I mean, someone can walk by and have a certain smell and it can turn you on. And to pretend like that's not happening and to ignore that is isn't. I don't think it doesn't lead to growth. Right. It's not like you have to go run after them and have them for lunch, you know, but like... It's like you've got to be willing to look at it and talk to your partner about the fact that
0: that's happened. Right. Right. You know,
1: because it's a normal human
0: thing. Right. Couples are not talking about that. They're Mm -hmm. acting like they don't see others or they don't smell others. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know,
1: it's and that's the thing. Like, if it's not talked about, it about and it's a secret thing. That's when it starts to be. That's when things start to get sticky. It's like. If you go home and you say you know, to your partner, hey, you know at work today this new person came in and I was really attracted to her and um, we had like, a really kind of deep conversation and it felt, it felt kind of weird to connect with her so deeply and you know, she was really attractive and it, it felt weird and I want to share it with you. That most likely, if you're both on board for the conscious monogamy thing, is gonna lead to more intimacy with your partner Maybe it's threesome with a woman from work, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and um, and and um, just more honesty, you know. Openness, mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. if you just hold that in, suddenly it becomes this thing, it's, it's a story, and then every day you're going in and you're like, oh god, and then
0: it's like this whole drama, that building you're something up <laughs> around something that really doesn't even need to be anything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, let's see. Anything else? Like, I have a bunch of questions here, so...
1: It's interesting with the polyamorous community, um, how rigid it can sometimes be. Mm. Um, there's been times, sort of, when I was really starting to consciously explore this stuff, where I reached out to the polyamorous community with feelings of jealousy, or with fears, or with wanting to set certain boundaries, and I would get um, sort of scolded. like If there was any hierarchy if there was any hierarchy going on um, in my relationship, if there was jealousy, there would be this sense of like, well if you were really pure in your polyamory mm-hmm. lifestyle, you would not feel that way. And so I don't at all identify as polyamorous. I just, I don't like the label. <laughs> I don't, I, I just, it's not that I have any problem with anyone else using it but it doesn't feel like it fits me because I'm someone that likes to have my person and I like to have my home and I like to have like my, um... Again, like
0: like your domain. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and because of the fact that there's nothing really stable or solid and nothing that we can really control, cool. it's nice to have that person. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's an illusion that there's stability and safety, it's still nice to have that person. So. For me, it's like, it's like I've had polyamorous friends kind of like poke at me and be like, you're a swinger, you know, which is which is sort of like
0: this, it's the negative way of saying you just want sex. Yeah, right. Yeah, and right. it sort of has a sleazy connotation. And mm-hmm. in the polyamorous community, it's very like little swingers. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I also don't identify with that. Like I don't identify with that label. So it's funny um, sort of finding where... I and like, like-hearted people, like-minded people, fit within all of those labels because I haven't found a place where I fit within those labels. For me, it's um, it really always comes back to this idea of the fluidity that it is just to be human. We're constantly changing, we're constantly shifting as circumstances shift, as healing occurs. For example, um, Look, I like to be tied up and beat a little bit, like any other gal. But I used to really like it. I was very into it. And when I did a certain amount of of healing, it stopped being as appealing to me, mm-hmm. which is interesting, right? Like, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that people who are into BDSM have issues. It's not actually. I think they're some of the most mindful, um, conscious people out there having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me the desire to be hurt and hurt badly went away when I stopped hating myself. And uh, and now while I still will engage in, in some ways in that sort of sexual play, it doesn't have nearly as much charge for me as it used to. And it's just really interesting. It happened very sort of slowly and subtly. It wasn't like just one day, it was like over time I shifted and changed. And I think one of the problematic things about labeling oneself is that you become identified with that label. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to change and shift, if it doesn't fit within that label, you might shut it down. Or um, you might push even harder in the other direction because that's your identity, this is who I am. Uh-huh. I'm a polyamorous person that doesn't believe in marriage, and now I want to get married, oh, just can't do it. Right. Or vice versa, yeah. you know? Um, and so, when it comes to all those labels, for me, it's, they're helpful. Like, I use the label bisexual um, because it, it fits. Yeah. I like men and women. Um, but that's, you know, that's why even when I was quite young, even when I was, like, in my early 20s and I was really starting to date women, in a more serious way. I, I didn't call myself a lesbian even when I wanted to because it felt good because it was like,
0: I'm a lesbian and I like women. and
1: there's, I knew some part of me was like, yeah, but that's not fully true. Mm, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not, even if, even though I only dated women for a good seven years, it just, I knew it wasn't true for me mm-hmm. to put that label on myself.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you like to integrate all parts at all times and just whatever happens (laughs) happens. I do, and it's kind of hell for people sometimes. (laughs) Well, because like you said, most people want to be in a box, Mm -hmm. put themselves in boxes and put each other in boxes and stay there and kind of like some life in that box. It would make it really easy if we could. Yeah, and I think people do it. With some success, but I don't know how happy their lives are.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I definitely have plenty of people in my life and in my circle who just want a very simple life. Mm-hmm. It's not about cutting parts off; it's just about how do we simplify and put the um, most energy in the places that are most important. Right. And you know, I really relate to that because, like, this, like, over the last year or so, I've been very focused on career, very focused on my book, very focused on my film work, and. There hasn't been as much energy to put out there into that realm mm-hmm. um, of of you know expressing my sexuality in that way. Um, and again, like if I was label if I had labeled myself as like this or that, it might yeah be forced.
0: I was like, no, I have to have four partners. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right, right,
1: Um So yeah. So I think I think it's really about like with the way we live in general. It's really about. Um, Accepting and acknowledging and embracing the impermanence and the fluidity. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think all of this fits really nicely into the sex work stuff too, mm-hmm. um, because typically uh, sex work is not something that society, you know, society grounds on sex work. Mm-hmm. You know, most aspects of it, porn for sure, mm-hmm. prostitution for sure. There's very few aspects of sex work that are actually illegal. Like you can. I mean, do you watch porn yourself? Maybe we can Yeah, we can
1: totally start there. So I am pro-porn, um, much to the alarm of some of the people I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the meditation community is not
1: pro Some of the people I come in contact with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a meditation teacher right. who's pro-porn. Um, I'm a feminist who's pro-porn. But I'm pro-porn in a specific way. I'm pro-ethical porn being consumed in a mindful and conscious way. Mm -hmm. So, most of the porn consumption is not being done in a mindful, conscious way, and it is not ethical content. And so, I am definitely not pro um, young women from the Midwest being exploited to come out here getting thrown in, you know, their first scene and then another one and then a gang bang and then an extreme BDSM scene and then being washed up and done. And that happens. These girls, it's like factory farming. I'm not pro that. And I'm not pro um, what porn has done to young men's sexuality or what it's done to young women's sexuality. I think there's a lot of issues, right? And a lot of room for improvement. But you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Porn is actually something that can be incredibly healing. It can, ob- it can obviously be incredible, incredibly great for intimacy um, with yourself and with other people. So what I try to talk about and what I teach about is A, how to find ethical porn and B, how to um, engage with porn in a way that's not addictive or um, or hurtful to you or the people in your life. So there are tons of ethical porn companies out there. There are lots of people making content. Other than that, you can get clips for free that are ethical, but they're going to be very limited. It's not going to be like going on um, Pornhub or any of those other sites and getting like as much as you could possibly want for free. It's going to be a limited number of clips they are going to let you see and a limited portion of those clips. So what you can do if you, you know, want a little bit more porn is you can easily get membership on many of these different sites, and they have them for whatever you're into. You know, if you're like a feminist lesbian who wants porn that really um, is coming from that perspective, you can get that. If you're a dude who's really into watching women get beat, then you can can get that, and it's going to be, it's going to be made